Previously on Drive Back the Night. Welcome everyone, it's Drive Back the Night. I'm Ethan Maestri. Ryan Mazzocco. Each week we like to take an episode of the series <laughs> and drop... Oh god, Ryan, why did you just attack me? No reason really. Yeah, you don't even really know if it was me. Okay. And now the continuation. say living in the way is difficult. Is sleeping difficult? Is waking? Drive Back the Night, an Andromeda series podcast. I'm Ethan Maestri. And I'm Ryan Mazzocco. Each week, we take an episode of... Oh, oh, God! God. Oh! Ryan! Wait. That was you last time, wasn't it? Well, yeah. Yeah, that was me. Why? You know what? I'll tell you why. It's because I'm taking your CD collection. I'm out of here. Dude, hold on. Uh... Man, I've got all of those on MP3 already. If you wanted it, you could have just asked. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, is my face red? Oh, come on, man. It's 2014. Of course I've got them backed up. I don't need that collection. Oh. Okay. Can, can you just hang around and let's do the show? Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm real sorry. Okay. I'm, you can just hold it. Hold on to You can take it when you leave. Okay. And I'm sorry about last time, too. That was you. Yeah. Man. Yeah. Yeah, that was me. I, I hit you last time, and I hit you this time. Oh, man. I'm sorry. I hope you feel a little dumb. You know what I do. Well, so yeah. we can start the show now? Yeah, yeah. Let, let's go ahead. Okay. I'm sorry. Can, let's put it behind us. Like I was saying, each week we take an episode of the television series Andromeda. It really hurt my hand, too. <laughs> it hurt you the last time, too, didn't it? <laughs> it hurts every time. <laughs> what we do for this show, I tell you. Well, we take an episode of Andromeda and we examine it. This week, we have episode seven, The Ties That Blind. Yeah, that's right. This is the, the seventh episode, and it's production number 108. So we're still waiting on production number 105. Okay. Hopefully that'll come sometime in the future. Nice little insight into the show there. But this one is uh, episode seven, uh, The Ties That Blind. And uh, I think we, we learn quite a bit from, from a lot of, about a lot of the different characters. But before we get to that... In our discussion of the show itself, Ethan, we've got a little uh, some some fun facts that you've dug up for us, don't you? A little bit. Okay. A little bit. Uh, yeah, if you hadn't noticed, we've got several guest stars for this one. Uh, interestingly enough, one of them, Brian George, he plays Vikram Kalsa. And you may have recognized him. He's been in a few things. Uh Brian George, he's Indian in descent. He's been active in, in television and in cinema since 1976. And just some things of note that he's done. Uh, he did a lot of voiceover work in the Batman animated series from the early 90s. And he also uh, played voices on the, the, the show Pinky and the Brain. 
Oh, really? So I thought that was pretty interesting hmm. uh, from my childhood. He's actually done a lot of uh, video game work as well. Uh, of note, uh, he did a lot of work in the Mass Effect series, Mass Effect's, uh, Mass Effect 1 and then also in Mass Effect 3 as well. So he's been around the sci-fi genre, mm-hmm. particularly when you come down to some of the television series he's done, obviously doing Andromeda. But before that, he had played Dr. Bashir's father, hmm. Richard, in uh, an episode of Deep Space Nine, Star Trek Deep Space Nine. And then also in 2000, he played in an episode of Star Trek Voyager as Ambassador Ozal in the episode Drive. And I believe that was from the fifth or sixth season. Okay. Uh, I can't remember exactly which one that was now. Uh, and then also, uh, again, with the voice voice work, uh, recently he worked on the Star Wars series Clone Wars, mm. the, that animated series, as uh, Ki-Adi Mundi, the, mm-hmm. Jed, the Jedi Ki-Adi Mundi. And then uh, finally, anybody that watches Big Bang Theory... Um, would recognize him as Kutherpali's dad in that <laughs> series. So, yeah, it was great to see Brian George in this episode. The story was done by the duo, Ashley Edward Miller and Zach Stentz. These two uh, will see frequently their names together. They are a great writing duo and have done quite a few episodes here in this first series and will continue uh, to, to produce for the show throughout its run. And so the, this is another another one by them. Also, interestingly enough, uh, the teleplay was done by Ethley and Var. And that's interesting because she has an episode that she has written coming up uh, that we'll be reviewing here. I believe it's episode eight, the next one that, mm-hmm. that we'll review. And uh, and so, yeah, uh, interesting writing team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a couple of, of regulars now to the show. We're seeing these names uh, coming up frequently. So anyway, Ryan, that's what I had for, uh, for fun facts yeah. for this episode. Uh, why don't you tell us? How the story went. Okay, well, here's how the ties that blind happened. We opened to find Tyr teaching Trance a little hand-to-hand combat in the hydroponics. On command, we find out that Harper has taken a detour upon completion of his latest mission to compete in a surfing competition. When Rev Bim informs the others that they are receiving a distress call from a wayist ship, the Om Shanti, they've been attacked with severe damage and requesting assistance. Rev knows this guy. It's Vikram Singh Khalsa, but you can call him Serenity, revered among Wayists. They take the ship on board. Serenity has a younger traveler with him, a Wayist named Rafe. Rafe Valentine, Becca's brother. As they look over Serenity Khalsa, Rafe lays his newfound Wayist ways on Becca. She is not buying it and wants to know what he's really up to, but Rafe doesn't waver. In Meddeck, Trance tries to inject Serenity with medical nanobots to his strong objection. You see, he has committed to the mountain path, the purest and most demanding form of wayism, and cannot accept medical treatment. He must accept whatever the universe gives him, even sickness and death. Trance tries reasoning, but he's having none of it. Back on command, Rafe is relating to Dylan what happened in the attack. No warning, no identification... They just started firing. Hmm, that sounds familiar. Their mission? Peace talks with the Restorians and Free Trade Alliance. The Restorians? Eco-terrorists that believe that it's bad enough to despoil your own planet without taking into space to ruin other worlds as well. Their solution? They see a ship in space, they blow it up. This does not sit well with most spacefaring people, in particular the Free Trade Alliance, who would like to mount a campaign against the Resters. Clearly, the Restorians didn't want Serenity to make it to the meeting. Fortunately, Dylan can give them a ride, 
and do his part to bring peace in space. Hey, isn't it interesting that the Om Shanti asked for the Andromeda by name? But how did they know they were out there? Tyr picked up on that too, and confronts Rev Bim, who admits to tipping them off. On command, Rami and Tyr compare data from the Yom Shanti's attacker with their own battle at Ro Capricornus, and determine that it was in fact Rusters who attacked them as well. On the Maru, Becca catches Rafe in the act. Returning stuff he stole? That's not like him at all. She's still not sure about this whole wayist thing with him, but he's pretty convincing. He even apologized, something that Rafe Valentine has never done. On command, Becca tells Dylan that maybe, just maybe, she's starting to believe Rafe. Maybe he's changed. Maybe she can trust him. Maybe they're it. Oh, he's stealing the Maru. Becca goes after him herself in a slip fighter because for some reason it's something she has to do herself. Becca follows Rafe to a wayist monastery. Meanwhile, back on the ship, Andromeda is noticing inconsistencies on the Yom Shanti's navigation and not detecting any reason why it would be unable to fly. Suspicions are mounting. During Rafe's meeting with his spiritual advisor, it's revealed that it's all a ruse and he is working undercover for the resters. His assignment now is to go back to the Andromeda and blow it and everyone aboard to bits. Rafe is not cool with this since it means killing his sister, but doesn't seem to have a choice in the matter. On the way back home, Rafe starts talking about the past and says, maybe this whole wayest thing isn't really for him after all. And Becca's like, oh, come on, stick with it. I'm just now starting to buy it. Rev Bim has something for Dylan on command. It's a flexi showing Rafe at a Restorian rally. Dylan decides to sick Becca on her brother. On the Maru, Rafe reveals to Becca that he was there, but he was just there with his girlfriend, Danny, and he became a spy for the Free Trade Alliance after the Rusters caused her death in a protest. And the real Khalsa is dead. As Tyr escorts Khalsa to V-Deck, he reveals himself for what he truly is, an army of nanobots packed inside a robe. As the ship's systems are going haywire from the intruding nanobots, Dylan confronts Rafe in the corridor, and Becca tells Dylan the whole story that he's really an FTA spy, and then Dylan devises a plan. On command, the Ruster fleet is closing in. They answer the Andromeda's hail simply with a message that they will destroy the Andromeda and there is nothing else to talk about. But no one bothered to hang up the phone, and the Rusters can still hear everything on the Andromeda. Rafe takes off on the Yom Shanti. Becca curses her brother for lying to them again. Rafe calls back to the Andromeda and says that he scammed them the whole way. There was no Danny. He stole the Andromeda's access codes, and they're all going to die. Becca goes after him in the Maru. After a little back and forth, which, again, the entire Rester fleet can hear, Becca pulls a trigger and blows up the Yamshanti, killing her brother, but not before he can send a transmission to the Rester fleet. The Resters launch missiles at the Andromeda. But at the last second, they reverse course and destroy the very Ruster ships from which they were fired. It was all a setup. Rafe is fine. He was in on the whole thing. Those access codes were really a virus for the targeting systems. Everyone laughs and jokes, says farewells, and everything is good on the Andromeda again. Until Becca goes back to the Maru to discover that Rafe has stolen her entire music collection. 
Oh, that's so Rafe. The end. What was that last line? Oh, that's so Rafe. In. <laughs> that doesn't have to go in. <laughs> yeah. So, Ryan, the whole time I'm watching this, and we've kind of alluded to it before, but I, I had a I had a line from uh, a song that I that I like that I appreciated. Oh yeah, it, it comes from Cakes, uh, 1994, uh, Motorcade of Generosity. Okay, CD. Mm-hmm. Um, in the song Rock and Roll Lifestyle, the first line is, "Your CD collection looks shiny and costly." Becca's CD collection. Uh, three thousand years in the future mm-hmm. is no doubt, or well, how how many years ahead of now? Yeah, we're about yeah. three thousand yeah. years. Yeah, her CD collection might not have been that shiny, but certainly would have been costly. Oh yeah. Um, although a CD collection, <laughs> honestly, <laughs> we're talking about two thousand. Uh, Napster was already yeah. popular at this time. Uh, I I know I was. Collecting MP3s mm-hmm. at that point. Is that a bit like uh, someone collecting, say, ancient Egyptian papyrus scrolls on their own privately some 3,000 years after they were in use? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Papyrus um, doesn't seem to, uh, to to stand the time as well as the, as a as CD. CD but it, it, how long is a CD going to last? How long does it take for a CD to break down? You know, it all depends on the conditions. Okay. You know, um, plastic left out in in UV, um, it, it does it it doesn't biodegrade in right. the sense that uh, organic material does. But even plastic, given enough time, does break down. So, I mean these would have these would have had to have been completely kept out of out of light for them to be still in as pristine condition as they are in. I mean, you would think the jewel cases would at least have some yellowing yeah. by now. Yeah, but the, the paper looks good in them and everything. Yeah. 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 So what you're saying is there is a chance that this could have worked out. <laughs> yeah, the plastic possibly, possibly could have survived. You know, we haven't had plastic for 3,000 years yet, so I guess we don't really know what 3,000-year-old plastic looks like. This is true. This is true. Anyway, I thought that was an interesting uh, call. CD collection. Yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I felt like I really got a um, a sense of closure from this episode, though, because I always wondered, and now I know, that after Babu Bhatt gets deported back to Pakistan, uh, he converted to Wayism. You're absolutely right. I so did. Was, I failed to mention to that role. Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah, in Seinfeld. Yeah, yeah. You were very, very bad man, Babu. <laughs> uh, yeah. That was great. So he he probably learned to forgive Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> yep, as any wayist should. Yeah, yeah. How cool was was that for uh, for Rev Bim to have somebody finally that could talk on his level. Yeah. That he f- perhaps felt a little inferior around. Yeah. <laughs> nice to see the tables turn just a yeah. little bit. Yeah. That was mm-hmm. an interesting dynamic. Yeah, he's surrounded by heathens. Now suddenly there's this this holy man in front of him. And... Not, and not just a holy man, but mm-hmm. a holy man on the mountain path. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. thought that was pretty interesting, yeah. the way they described that. Uh, the mountain path, that's pretty extreme. Uh, yeah. Yeah, sounds like it. I thought that was kind of interesting, too, the way he just completely refused um, any form of medical treatment. 
and then and then trance her reasoning that you know hey what if i'm the divine will to fix you and he says no no but i i think um it becomes quite obvious why he actually didn't want any medical treatment yeah yeah yeah, yeah he didn't need anything probing into him right yeah <laughs> but not unprecedented i mean you notice how yeah trance tries to talk her way around it but everybody's like, well, okay, we have to accept that. Yeah. And that's not unprecedented mm-hmm. for some, uh, I guess, sects in society today, I yeah. suppose. Yeah. So, Harper's a surfer, dude. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, 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 I should have brought that up. Because I wrote up in the upper right-hand corner, Harper isn't in this episode. Mm-hmm. Unless you... <laughs> because I don't think that's him on the surfboard. <laughs> I really don't think that's him on the surfboard. <laughs> but what what was it? What what competition was it? It was the pan something. Yeah, the yeah. pan something surfing championship or whatever it was. <laughs> that was interesting. Uh, yeah, yeah. It was... Which which that explains the Hawaiian shirts. Yeah, so many other things are unexplained though. I'm not exactly sure. I mean, he's so busy on the Maru and has been for for years. Mm-hmm. We can we we've gathered. Uh, he, he's been serving under Becca for quite some time. How, where does he get time to practice his surfing in order to be at championship level? Yeah, that's a valid point. Um, second episode in a row where we start out the show, Tyr is trying, trying to train trance. In something. He's trying, he's taking an interest in trance. Yeah, that's um, true. You know, I guess last time he said, if it's because my survival depends on you being able to navigate slipstream, so it's self-motivated. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he's spending a lot of time with trance. That's yes, he interesting. Because he is. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, I guess it's making an impact. Hee-haw. Yeah. It was better than... Hi-ho. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's it's a toss up. <laughs> Speaking of nanobots, um wow. <laughs> I mean, th- this guy opens up his mouth and it's just this stream of nanobots that just come flying out of there. I mean, so much so that once they're gone, it's just an empty road. Yeah, I was going to say that was interesting because it wasn't like he was like a, a- a flesh bag holding these nanobots. It was like he was comprised of nanobots. That's mm-hmm. all he was. Yeah. And so like Obi-Wan, you know, yeah, just yeah. Like the, the robe just, boom, there it is. Yeah. That's the visual that, that, that it took me back to. Yeah. I kind of wonder about, and, and you know, we don't have the technology now to make nanobots at, at this rate. I, I kind of wonder because, you know, the, the Andromeda is full of nanobots. Um, takes care of maintenance and and medical, all kinds of stuff. These nanobots have all these jobs. And we saw how many nanobots came out of this robe, yet the Andromeda's nanobots were able to defeat them. So I guess we can reason from that that the Andromeda has more, possibly, or just just better. Yeah, okay. Man, I want to know how these nanobots are being made. I mean, to, to pump them out in such... High quantities. Uh, I mean, I hope it's not just a bunch of kids in in some third world planet that are working their fingers to the bone day and night for a quatlu a day, 
you know, trying to make all these nanobots for all these people, you know, these three galaxies of people. I'd, I'd like to see a nanobot factory is what I want. That's that's all I want. <laughs> a nanobot factory. Yeah. And and then to be able to take them and program them the way they did for them to completely assemble a human form and then not just to assemble that form because it, it, it's it's an old ploy. You know, you have the, the stand in the replacement, you mm-hmm. know. And they can't talk. They can't function. They just, you know, they have that blank stare and people ask them questions and they just don't respond. Mm-hmm. But no, these things are able to respond mm-hmm. uh, with a certain... Uh, intelligence? Uh, yeah, a certain amount of intelligence, an awareness mm-hmm. of who this person is that they're impersonating and, and being able to have the right responses at the right time. And they pretty sophisticated. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'd like to... You say you'd like to see a nanobot, a nanobot factory. I would really like to see these nanobots in, in a further role, a further explanation of how they function in this this world, this universe. You know, I wonder what else they can make. Just with all, if you have enough nanobots, can you make a Tyrannosaurus Rex? Oh, that would be cool. <laughs> that would be awesome. Would be I, awesome. I want to see that. So first, I want to see the nanobot factory, and then I want to see the nanobot T Rex. Yeah. Is that is that is that asking too much? <laughs> Probably oh. for this show. Yeah, I would say so. Um, let's get down into the plot and what we actually learn from this episode okay. regarding the the Andromeda universe and 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 some of the things that our crew has we've seen in a previous episode and how it has impacted. And let's come down to the Restorians, mm-hmm. the Resters. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you identified them in your summary. There, they're they're a terrorist group. Mm-hmm. A, a, an interesting philosophy that they come from about uh, the fact that space travel encourages colonization and that colonization ruins indigenous civilizations. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that was just... We, we're now starting to see groups of people in this universe and starting to learn about this universe. And I think this is an interesting group. And they're also the ones responsible for the attack that we saw in D-0. Right. So we finally have that answer. So it's the resters that have been attacking them. Yeah. I kind of wonder if uh, if they knew that from the beginning when they wrote D minus zero, because remember we talked about in in that discussion, D minus zero was production number one hundred one. Yeah, so that's the one they had actually written and presumably made, or at least had started working. Yeah, on. before they even did their pilot episode. Mm-hmm. I kind of wonder if. If they knew this whole time that it was going to be these Restorians, or if just along the way they decided to to retcon that and go back and and explain that for us. Because we really had absolutely no explanation, no direction even, you know. Not even even a hint of a theory from Becca or anyone else that might have... Heard of Resters. Right, yeah. Because it sounds like they had heard of them. Oh, yeah, they're... Well... Uh, Beck is the one that gives us the exposition about who they are, um, how long they've been active, what they do. Yeah. So she knew about them. Yeah. So you wonder in that episode, D minus zero, why had that not crossed her mind? Because that's, this is evidently, this is kind of their MO. They show up, blow spaceships out of the sky and they be on their way. Yeah. So I don't know. It just seems like something, a pattern that, that Becca tier they they would have been able to recognize yeah and like you say at least at least give a theory hey you know what these might be the resters they do this kind of thing yeah 
And you know, and we and we have another group uh, that's discussed in this in this episode, and of course, Rafe is involved with them, and that's the Free Trade Alliance. Mm-hmm. And we had mention of them in Angel Dark Demon Bright. Uh, Harper mentions about the formation of the Free Trade Alliance mm-hmm. and maybe being able to to get involved on the ground floor with mm-hmm. that. Now we're having we're seeing a little more about them and what they're about. And obviously they and the resters do not get along very well. Right. Well, either they're interfering with them. It's kind of like when the, the pirates of the, uh, the Caribbean or the Caribbean, however you prefer to say it, when they were interfering with the shipping routes, um, I mean, that's what they were doing. And the Spanish and the British, uh, navies, they were just furious with them. They they hated them, you know. But what's interesting about that is that we're not in a time period where there is a British Empire that would get involved, a, a, an actual government. Yeah. What we have is basically a commercial entity. Yeah. That is policing, <laughs> policing the space lanes. Mm-hmm. You know. It, it, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, and it doesn't say that they are going to go to war with them. It does say that they they are in talks to mount a campaign against them. I guess we can assume that violence would have to ensue, uh, but this is not a, a military organization. So, no, but they've obviously mobilized a mm-hmm. a intelligence force. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if if that's what we're talking about, is them being able to police the space lanes and take care of this problem yeah. with the resters, it seems oddly self serving. But really, what's the alternative? Yeah, there is no other power or force that's going to take care of things for them that they can go to and, and look to for help. So yeah, mm-hmm. you've got a, you've got interest in, in your, in resources and things like that and, and free trade. So you know what, if it's self-serving, so be it. We're going to take care of the situation. <laughs> right. And it's self-motivated and Tyr can appreciate that. Certainly. Yeah, <laughs> certainly. So we come down to looking at the, I, I'm looking at the relationship between Rafe and and Becca, and obviously the uh, the Valentine family, um, are they're self confident. I I had written down full of themselves, <laughs> mm-hmm. but they yeah. they are very self confident, right? But we're looking at the at this discussion at, at one point, and Rafe uh, when he's talking about his love interest in Danny, he asks Becca if she's ever been around someone that believes in something, uh, an ideal. And to me, Becca's response is is very telling. Mm-hmm. The expression on her face as he's putting this out there, mm-hmm. she looks caught. Yeah, you know, and and you can see the wheels turning in the back of her mind because obviously she's with someone like that mm-hmm. at that moment, right? Uh, with Dylan Hunt, I mean, Dylan Hunt feels very strongly about his ideals in reestablishing the Commonwealth, and for whatever doubts and fears she may have about it. She's been sucked right in. Mm-hmm. And and that response I thought was very good. I can imagine. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and she's not she's not dismissing him at all mm-hmm. because she understands. Right. She knows where he's coming from. I thought that was a an interesting look into her character and what she's gone through just in these what, seven episodes yeah. now. Uh to to get she's a different person already than she was at the start of the show. Yeah. So I guess a- another question that kind of comes up is where do the wayists stand on this whole issue? Because at, at my first watching of this, I, I don't know if I just got fooled or if I wasn't paying attention, but I thought that everyone on this monastery 
Um, it was all just a big ruse. It was all just a trick. They were all terrorists disguising themselves as Weyus. But then the more I think about it, because, I mean, that whole conversation between Rafe and his spiritual advisor, quote, they start out very legitimate looking and sounding. The, 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 the wording that they're using and just their posture about everything. And so you wonder, is that just to fool us, the viewer, or is that actually what they're all about? But it's like, okay, now let's take off the hood and talk about our terrorist agendas. Yeah. You know, so are they actually way it's at the end, Rafe talks about going back to the monastery. So it kind of leads me to believe yeah, this. Was he serious about that though? I don't, I didn't view him as being serious about that. Well, the, the gig is up. There's no reason yeah. to keep lying about it. True. I mean, you know, he said, you know what? Maybe I'll go back to the monastery. He, he he doesn't say for sure. Right. But he's just like, that's a possibility. Maybe I'll go ahead and, and do this. Uh, so, I can't imagine he would, actually, because he double-crossed them. Yeah. <laughs> so, as I'm saying this, I'm realizing if he goes back there, there he's, he's dead. He's in trouble. Yeah. No, I, I took it as they were just, the two of them, specifically, they were just plants. They... Maybe I'm just not following what you're saying. Were you saying everyone at that monastery was part of the, the terrorist organization? Well, that's what I'm wondering. Okay. I I don't see it that way. Okay. So I say they, they're, they're there. They're using that monastery as kind of a waypoint or whatever. Um, so basically just the two of them, possibly a uh, few more. Possibly others. Right. But, but it is a real wayist monastery. That's how I took it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I mean, you looked at the at the set, uh, the, the, the depiction... Uh, of the, you know, the, the the statues and the the cauldron, the flaming cauldrons and all of that. It looked like a, it did. It was a monastery. It mm-hmm. looked like a well-established uh, place of worship. I, I don't see a complete terrorist organization setting up one of those just and putting the resources that it looked like it would have taken to create a place like right. that. It, uh, unless it, you know, it was legitimate. Mm-hmm. And, and so the, the people that we saw in it, they were just pawns or, 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 plants mm-hmm. uh, using that environment right. um, for their own purposes. Except possibly the, the Perseid that Becca talks to when she first gets there. Oh, yeah, that's true. So, I mean, he he could possibly be a legit Weyus. Yes. As well as probably the rest of all the monks there. Yeah. Are they monks? I don't know. Have they said? I don't know. They haven't really said if they're monks or... Pastors yeah. or it sounds good. Wayest monks. Wayest monks. Yeah, it does have a nice ring to it, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, I like it. <laughs> Let's go with that. <laughs> Let's go with that then. No, I I viewed them as being uh, the two of them. Uh-huh. They were they were on the inside. Um, everyone else around them was doing their best in in Wayest culture, Wayest religion, or whatever you want to the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and they were doing it too to an extent, but they also had hidden agenda as well. So he was just making contact with his contact there at the uh, at the monastery. I don't think that there was anything duplicitous about the order that right. was there. I thought it was interesting, Serenity Khalsa, or as he was pretending to be, um, one, one line that he said, and I'm paraphrasing, that uh, one man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter. 
it, it kind of, it was kind of interesting. It made me think about a line that Nicolas Cage used in National Treasure. He, he and again, I'm paraphrasing him, was that just like the the, the founding fathers um, in this particular country in America, there's there's uh, so much admiration put toward those men because they won. If they had lost the war, then they would have been tried and hanged for treason. Mm-hmm. They would have been called terrorists. Yeah. But since they won, they're founding fathers. But it, 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 and it was just kind of interesting the way he says this. You know, one man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter. I can't say that's not true in, in so many ways. Yeah. I mean, whether it's real life or whether it's Star Wars, that entire rebel alliance was just a massive terrorist organization yeah until they won yep then they became the legitimate yeah force yeah no absolutely and uh so so looking at it from uh the standpoint of of the andromeda universe here we have the restorians um is their claim valid i mean I, i know we're we're kind of we're going beyond what what we have seen so far in this episode but I I kind of see a basis for their argument. Yeah, I mean, especially when you look at, say, the Nietzscheans and the Magog. Yes. The way they have just gone through space and destroyed civilizations just and worlds. Through. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So whatever cultures existed on those planets that they've taken over, they're essentially, if they exist, they're in tatters. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, yeah, look at Earth. I mean, Harper's description of Earth Magog and Nietzschean invasions and occupation. It's true. It's terrible. But we really haven't seen anything about Commonwealth culture, have we? And and how the Commonwealth handles indigenous cultures. We haven't really seen anything about that, have we? No, but there is no Commonwealth now. I mean, these the Nietzscheans were part of Commonwealth. Yeah. So, I mean, in, in that sense, I guess... That kind of helps build a case for the for the historians yeah. that say, "Hey, former Commonwealth members are some of the worst offenders running roughshod that, that over these the three galaxies have have seen." Yeah, no, absolutely. So yeah, so so we have some credence to what the the historians are are saying. Mm-hmm. So you take that, and then you compare that with the spacefaring cultures that. They have to have space travel to survive. I mean, we don't have a show mm-hmm. unless the Andromeda can travel freely between different systems and what. So, so you've got these two opposing viewpoints, and, and I thought that was really interesting because, all right, we we take it to society today, the cultures that we live in today. Mm-hmm. There are some cultures that have some legitimate claims about you know things that are being done to their environment and things like that. Mm-hmm. But then you have other groups that are like, well. <laughs> There's resources here, mm-hmm. and we have to use them. Mm-hmm. We need to use them. And so you have a, and I'm thinking specifically of like the Amazon rainforest, mm-hmm. um, and how indigenous, you know, there's indigenous cultures that live there, and everybody looks at it and says, yes, they need to be preserved. But then you've got the the residents of that country saying, this is a precious resource, and it's all that we have mm-hmm. in order to make it in, you know, the modern world. Right. I just think it, it, it's interesting the way they've taken. Something very real that we see taking place on our planet and in portraying it here in, in this story. Because what's the solution? Do, do we, you know what, what's coming. Do we get a solution to this particular argument? 
Or is this just a one-off? Well, I, I don't know if I can tell you that. Is this an argument we're going to come back to? You know, I honestly don't remember um, how big of an influence that these, uh, these Restorians are going to have on the story as it unfolds. At the very least, though, we got an answer as to why Andromeda was attacked. Yeah. A few episodes back. Yeah. Yeah, we did. Okay. So I'll just have to accept that. You know, Ethan, many say living the way is difficult. Is sleeping difficult? Is waking? Well, if you're on the mountain path, maybe. Yeah, that's going to be difficult. (laughs) Uh, So you're referring to our quote then? Yeah. Yeah, that's the one. It's the. Uh, <clears throat> that's actually a quote from Serenity Vikram Singh Khalsa. Um, I'm assuming the real one. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, yeah. Not the nanobot. Not the nanobot version. Yeah. You know, this is being said by a guy who is is dedicated to this mountain path, and is he? Because we are we already established earlier in the discussion. He says that, and that's basically to keep the needles from probing into him. I, I wonder really if this Serenity Kalsa, is he, if he's really on the mountain path, or if that's just a, that's just something that the nanobots bring out so that they don't get discovered. You know what, that's a good point, because when he mentions that, Rev Bim is just like, oh, I'm so sorry, I didn't know, you know, and this yeah. is a guy who was supposed to be uh, revered yeah. as a wayist. You would think if he was on that mountain path, that apparently that's his, that's the mm-hmm. the the pinnacle, right? Uh, that's the purest form. Yeah. So he would, in theory, be revered and known for that. Yeah. Unless maybe it's part of their humility, they don't reveal what their what path they're on. That would make sense. Uh, too. And unless it becomes necessary, like in this situation. Yeah. You know, it's like, well, no, I can't do yeah. that. You know, would maybe the real Serenity Kalsa would have said that, and maybe the nanobots knew that. So either way, they're using it to their, their own advantage, exactly. But I guess we really can't know for sure if he was on that mountain path or not. Seeing as how he's most likely dead. Yeah. Yeah. We can't yeah. exactly ask now. But in any event, this is the quote. Yeah. So. It, and it, it's my thought on this in, in thinking about talking about the show uh, for the for the recording here it really is uh it's cliche it's it's very cliche it's a very um mystical type thing mm-hmm. uh a, a spiritual mm-hmm. type saying you know it, it i think it goes right along the, the lines of of what you would want a guru, guru mm-hmm. to say well, and it kind of really doesn't necessarily answer the question. True. <laughs> Which <laughs> because isn't that how yeah. a lot of cults <laughs> yeah. and, and and ways are, yeah. And you know, it, it it compares living the way to sleeping and waking. Are either of those things difficult? I guess it depends on who you ask. Yeah. Um for me, is sleeping difficult? Not really. Is waking difficult? Yeah. Hit that snooze button again. Waking is a problem for me. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, I know plenty of other people who who have insomnia. They are just... And to a degree, I'm the same way. When I'm up, I'm up. Yeah. I don't want to go to sleep until I'm just about to fall over and my eyes are just so heavy, I can't take it anymore. I love to just stay up 
as late as I possibly can and, and keep myself occupied doing things that I enjoy. So in that sense, sleeping is difficult because I find sleep to be a bit of a waste of time. Not that I don't need it, not that I don't love it and enjoy it, but the going to sleep, I have a hard time with that. Because I'm like, there's other things I'd rather be doing. Yeah. And, and right there, that's the crux of it. Because, I mean, in, you know, sleeping, waking, those are uh, illustrative for what he's actually talking about. I mean, we're talking about you uh, set certain principles. Um, and, and maybe some of those things are, are things that you wouldn't normally decide to do. And so... You know, for some on the outside of the Wayist culture, or really any any kind of Buddhism, Hinduism, whatever it is, from the outside looking in, you can say, "Good grief! Why would you do that to yourself? You know, why would you take that course?" Yeah. And here here's an interesting perspective from somebody on the inside that's doing it, that has set those boundaries, and now they're following it. And for them, yeah, it's it's not that hard. It's not that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, one last point is I noticed that the, the date on this is uh, 301 AFC, mm-hmm. and that is not the American Football Conference. Yeah. Well, thanks for clearing that up. <laughs> I, I assume that is after the fall of the Commonwealth. Is that what that's, that's referring to? That's what it's looking like. Yeah. Um, the the battle at, uh, was it Witchhead or Hephaestus? Okay. Yeah. So one of those is called Zero AFC. Okay. So because uh, we're kind of following dates mm-hmm. in this show just a little bit, so we established, I believe, Dylan shows up three hundred and three years. Yeah. 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 Um, after the events that we see at the the black hole. Mm-hmm. So this is three hundred one. So now we can see somewhere within the last two years is when these nanobots uh, eliminated Serenity Khalsa mm-hmm. and replaced them. Right. It's relatively recent. And I would venture to say probably even, probably tighter. Much more the, recently. Yeah, yeah. Just the last few months, maybe a month yeah. <laughs> or so. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. That that seems reasonable. I think you're probably right. Um, as far as TV episodes go, how did you feel about this one, Ethan? Um, you know what? This is, I'm just going to say it, it wasn't my favorite. Um we got an answer for D minus zero. Mm-hmm. We get to see a little bit about what's going on in the universe around Andromeda, but there's really not a whole lot here that I enjoyed. Mm-hmm. I, I wasn't, I wasn't interested in Becca's brother. Right. I mean, he, he wasn't compelling. Mm-hmm. And, and so ultimately I got to learn a few things, but I could take or leave this episode. I'm, I'm really ambivalent mm-hmm. <laughs> in my feelings toward it so far. Yeah. yeah. We did learn about, we learned about Becca. Uh, we learned a little bit about her background and, um, and her past with her brother and, and with her, with their father, you know, there was, there was some sort of, uh, um, a disconnect between, between them. Um, obviously, dysfunctional family yeah. set of circumstances there. So, so we get a little bit of Becca. Um, we get a little bit of wayism, even if it is through a bunch of wayist frauds. <laughs> yes, we do. We do learn a little bit more about what wayism is. Mm-hmm. So I think that's interesting because, you know, we've got someone on the ship 
that's a wayist and uh, is the the advisor to most of the crew, even the ones that don't want the advice, right. like, like Tyr. Right. You know, um, there's still conversations. There's still stuff that goes on. So, you know, we, we do learn a little bit there. Um, as as an episode, I mean, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure I'm real crazy about it. Um, it's probably not one that I am going to say, hey, you've got to watch this episode of Andromeda because it's going to get you hooked on Andromeda. I, I think we've already had some that would do that a whole lot better. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I I totally agree with that because we're just coming off of Angel Dark Demon Bright. And mm-hmm. it's probably so far... Which had just come off of Double Helix. I mean, those, yes. those two back-to-back. Yes. You, we learned so much, and they're, they're good, well-written episodes. Mm-hmm. This one, you're right. I, I said it. We were talking earlier, and you and you were asking if I liked it or not, and I think I I just said no, I don't like it. I put it right there with D minus zero. That's a bit harsh mm-hmm. because you're right. Now that we've had a chance to discuss it a little bit, we did learn quite a bit from it. So I, I'm I'm ambivalent right toward it. The the difference is I, the the thing for me is the CD collection. I mean, <laughs> uh, that really just t- <laughs> now we're into the the realm of production value. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's certain decisions were made that probably shouldn't have been. You know, um, one difference that I think that this episode had from D minus zero is that in our discussion of D minus zero, we both agreed it wasn't the strongest episode, but it was an episode that had to happen. Yes. I'm not sure that the story changes if this story doesn't happen. That's a very good touchstone. I mean, in, unless, unless of course the, the Restorians turn out to be a much bigger player. Yeah. You know. Yeah, there there were any number of things you could have done with this episode to introduce the Restorians and the Free Trade Alliance mm-hmm. and and set up those players within, you know, this environment. The problem is I'm cluing in on that being the most interesting thing about the episode, but the most interesting thing about the episode is supposed to be the character de- development of Becca Valentine. Mm-hmm. And I've Really, in my mind, I've just totally glossed that over, and I don't know if that's a, because I'm 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 not connected to Becca yet. I'm not connected to Becca as, as a character yet. She's she's kind of on the edge. I'm more mm-hmm. interested in Tear. I'm more interested in Dylan. I'm more interested in Harper and Trance certainly. Mm-hmm. Becca is he, she hasn't made an impression on me yet, and so I guess that's why this episode is just kind of hmm, mm-hmm. okay. It's there. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it was a bad episode. I it, I don't it, I I'm not saying it's bad. No. I mean it definitely wasn't one that I couldn't stand watching. I get when you put it up against the episodes that we've already had, mm-hmm. then I think it's fair to say not the strongest episode. It, it fades. It yeah. fades into the background. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so that's the ties that blind. There it is. All right. Well, if you've been listening to the show and you would like to drop us a line, we'd certainly like to hear from you. You can do so by emailing at uh, drivebackthenightpodcast at gmail.com. And we're also on social media. We're on Twitter and Facebook. We have the handle Andromeda Pod on both of those. You can keep up with us on andromedaseries.podbean.com. And if you want to watch the shows along with us and you don't have the DVDs, then you can always watch them on YouTube. That's the Andromeda TV YouTube channel. 
and uh, we usually try to post a link up there uh, a few days before we release one of our podcasts so that you can watch those along with us. We once again want to thank Tim Kimmerly, who gives us our quotes at the beginning of each episode. And we are an Age of Geek production. Go ahead and check them out at www.ageofgeek.com. Lots of good geek content over there for discussion about every other week. So that's going to do it for The Ties That Blind, and we hope that you will join us back here again next week as we look at The Banks of the Lethe.